0: We are live. Thank you for joining us tonight on SDC, where we have another special guest. I'll get to him in a moment. First, I got to introduce us, because well, it's our show, right? So, of course, we got Dustin, we got Jared, and myself, John. And tonight, we've got a uh, probably a brother of another mother in another state. uh, That's uh, quite frankly talking about things that. are very near and dear to our heart, which is leadership. Nick, can you take a moment and introduce yourself, bud?
1: Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I am uh, Nick. I am from the uh, Roll Call Room podcast and uh, author of Police Mental Barricade, uh, a survivor's guide to poor law enforcement leadership. Uh, Big, hot topic right now uh, in the law enforcement profession uh, that doesn't just... um, isolate itself to law enforcement it's military it's the you know corporate america it's everything where um we're starving for some sort of leadership um right now so uh some hot topics and and definitely uh topics that uh bring some heated discussions
2: and also bring some heat uh after the discussions from what we understand that is uh You know, I always
1: say you're not doing it right unless you have a detective come to your place of business after you do an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah,
2: yeah. Now, we got connected to you through uh, William Young's Saturday Night Synopsis. Um, I listened to you when you were on his podcast, and then I listened to the one that he was on yours, and then uh, uh, I went back and I started with episode one and worked my way through. When I got to your one on leadership, um, I sent it to John and I was like, you got to listen to this. And then a couple weeks ago, uh, I went out on a, uh, my first ever, uh, ride along with John and everybody was like, Hey, is this Steve? Is this Steve? (laughs) it, It went through the ranks pretty quick up here. Um, but we you have it on there where you have where you call' them a Steve, um and that is a leader that I guess the basic way to put it is shouldn't be a leader um, yeah, and we all have those, and I don't care if you're listening to us uh, and you're from a clothing store, you're from the military, any police department, you all have that manager, that leader, commander, um sergeant, lieutenant, whatever. That is just the one that's there because he was old enough to be there, and they're the longest. And I'm not saying that every leader's bad at their job. That's not what we're. I'm going to get that out of the way right now. We're not pointing fingers at any individual department. We're not pointing fingers at any individual person. Uh, When we say Steve, and your your name happens to be Steve, if the shoe doesn't fit, don't worry about it yeah (laughs) but
3: but if the shoe does fit now you know
2: yeah yeah well right You don't don't know you're the guy you're the guy guy. (laughs)
1: Hi. well and you know we we created the quote-unquote steve guy because or gal stevia we used to call them for females because we want to be fair to everybody (laughs) and um it it makes you question whether or, or whether or not you are. So it serves its purpose, which is for you to do a self correction. Absolutely. So if you're that person that's there and goes, "Well, am I a Steve?" and then you start going through the list where you're telling war stories that are not your stories, um, you're the last one out after roll call, but the first one in before everybody mm. gets called in. Uh, you're the guy that buys every tactical gear, but you don't use it at all because you don't go on any calls for service. Uh, you're the guy that is like Teflon, no paper sticks to them. Uh, you know, you're always the guy or the gal that's like the Matrix. You, you do that little back thing where, you know, you avoid work at all costs. Uh, you only go through one pair of boots every 10 years because you're never on your feet. Um, these are things that you should do as self-reflection if maybe you are a Steve. Uh, and if you are, there's still time for you to correct yourself unless you're, you know, you're really old and you know, you're setting your ways, but that's the reason why we created it. And it's hilarious because every email that I get starts out with, Hey Steve. So it's just, it's hilarious. I, I think it's funny, um, and and it's kind of cool you know like we get emails from people like overseas and stuff it's kind of fun it's fun
0: that's i actually feel and kind it's of bad it's nice because
1: to... oh, go ahead i i feel like
0: we're like a cliche groupie
2: no no no, no. you
1: know no 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 you're not going to send me a finger i i have like seven fingers that have been sent to this. <laughs> All I need is three more and then I have like a whole set, you know, like, so I am
2: looking for two size cakes,
1: So, uh, Sorry, I can't that, help I you with that.
2: Yeah. But yeah, when I was listening to it's it like I said, I don't care where you're from, what you do for work, you're going to get something out of this. And yeah, there was stuff that john and i were talking about when i sent it to him and he had said this is how they taught leadership in the military take care of your guys then take care of yourself and when you were on the one episode and you're talking about the guy that buys all the tactical gear and all that you know i remember when i was deployed i had a major and i hope he's listening right now you know who you are i had a major that had uh a it was like a ping-pong wow. paddle knife right here. I mean, the blade was three inches wide. It was probably seven inches. No practical use except for opening an MRE bag. and That'll look cool. Yeah, and he had one here. Then he had one that was back here that had a little curve to it. And I was like, you're, you're a field-grade officer that's in a communication role What in the world, sir? (laughs) Well, you don't know. If it goes down, I'm going to be ready. Yeah. If it goes down, there's going to be plenty other things for you to pick up.
1: (laughs) Cops are the same way, and you could always tell the Steve in the room during roll call because before roll call starts, they're touching that new piece of equipment (laughs) on their vest if they have an app. And they they want to show it to you so bad. And they're just waiting for that one yeah, they're just waiting for that one person to go, wait, geez, that? wait what is, is the bright Why? flamingo pink colored thing you got on your vest? And they're like, oh, this? this? Oh, here, let me show you it. the
2: 20 things it does.
1: Yeah, this right. right here, you have no idea. I got an exclusive offer on Facebook <laughs>
2: Marketplace. This is, a-
1: this is a tourniquet <laughs> 5,000, all right? This is not your standard tourniquet. And not some savage where you <laughs> manually crank the tourniquet. You push this button, it turns itself. <laughs> that, sounds that sounds legit, my friend. That sounds legit. yeah. Good for push you. The button. Hey, guy's hey so
3: so I can do my job here. You've you've said it twice, and it's the name of your podcast. What is the oh role yes for for those of us that don't that don't have to have a uh, what I'm assuming is a morning meeting. Uh
1: so roll call the roll call is usually our powwow before you get sent out to the wild to the street and uh we named it the roll call room because basically the roll call room before the briefing starts it's just like a frat house you know everybody's <laughs> right. talking to each other and making fun of each other and there's you know powwowing and there's some good com- camaraderie going on before um you know, the command staff comes in the room and just sucks the oxygen out, uh, you know, with their big oversized heads and uh, just suck fun out of the room. So we these need are the doors
2: help. that are wider, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's the reason, fit. Reason fit. Most, <laughs> that's the reason why most roll call rooms are two doors That's swing open, <laughs> it's, it's to get their gigantic freaking heads or their big bubble ass through the doors because, you know... It just seems like once you get that butter bar, the only thing that you're shoving in your mouth is a a, a brick of butter or the Chiefs' fingers. Good, good. You, you finished that. Sentence. Yeah. But yeah so okay. That's what the I could have a of titles underneath here. Like, Nick yeah. means this. Under, <laughs> close. Case.
2: Um, yeah, that's I'm why right. I started out, and <laughs> that's why I started out and said we're not pointing to any specific oh, right not department
1: unless <laughs> you want to. I'm all for <laughs> litigation, so I am not. <laughs> uh, oh my lord! I have been doing.
0: It. Um, it's not fun. Oh, it's black. It's are great, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, and then when you get that yeah, special you know, letter, that says, this, is, this isn't going to go to circuit court; it's going to go to federal. <laughs> you're like, yeah.
1: Shit. <laughs> that's when you bend over but, uh, extra wide, right? Yeah, right. yeah.
2: <laughs> that I was remember last time place took you, <laughs> I
1: took
2: took a position, and they said, "Well, you're you're now the you know place of authority." I was a clerk for a local township and they said and then they hand me a piece of paper i'm like what's this these are your four lawsuits <laughs> so that was my first introduction into uh leadership as far as a township yeah. goes I'm Sorry, you had to,
1: um it's never fun it's never never yeah. it's never fun um and that's something that they don't prepare you at least in the police academy it's not mm-hmm. talked about very much about um you know, it's not a matter of if you're going to get sued. It's a matter of it's when one. you're going to get sued. If you're a Absolutely. proactive officer and, you, and you're hard, you're a hard charger. You're going to get complaints. You're going to get into cruiser accidents. You're going to get sued. Um, mm-hmm. and if you're not, then good for you. But the thing is, is that if, when I was a sergeant in the police department, I would tell my officers all the time, just be honest, right. Acting good faith. Follow the general orders and I will always uh, guide you Go to, yeah. you know, you're never gonna get hung up. If you, if you lie, you lie, you're, you're, you're toast. You're um, done. But yeah, I mean, if you're a proactive officer, you're interacting with a lot of people every single day, you're going to have uses of force. They're never pretty. They're not sexy. You know, they're never, they never look good on YouTube. They never look good on uh live leak or whatever the hell they call it. But if you do it right and you follow the parameters, which is is once they're in custody, they're in custody. Right. You'll be fine. You know, don't put your, your knee on somebody's neck for eight minutes and you'll be fine. You know, like right. just follow those rules and everything will be great. There won't be any riots and you know, everything will be fantastic. Right. And for God's so so sake, don't take it get back to
0: on anybody. No. <laughs> don't know if you've heard about that one. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, don't, Nick, don't do that. Um,
2: let's take you back to, to three years ago before you started your podcast. Huh. OK, um, I know you're always a fan of your first episode. I hear it all the time that, you you know, that's like your favorite one. No. Um, mm-hmm. What what goes through your mind as you're like, I'm going to talk about I'm going to have a podcast for law enforcement. Did it? Focus on I'm going to talk about leadership or is that just kind of what came out of it?
1: Well, so the podcast came about because I had I was a sergeant and I had a lieutenant that I worked for that uh, was absolutely one of the worst leaders that I've ever uh, had the misfortune of working with. And, um, you know, I was a sergeant. I brought it to the department's attention and they sat on it and they did nothing for eight months and uh mm. it continued for eight months and um i left I, I i threw my my hands up in the air and i resigned and i left and uh after two weeks of being gone i decided you know what uh this is not enough punishment i'd like to come back for some more and when i came back as a reward my chief um uh, did me a solid and, and demoted me and took money away from me. Made me go through field training all over again with an officer that had less time on than my boots. And uh, right, just let, me,
2: let me interrupt yeah. you there. How long were you in long- on the force? Uh, combined, uh, at that uh, point, well, up to that point yeah. 18 years. So you're in this for 18 years, mm-hmm. and now you're a boots-on-the-ground rookie. Yep, basically field training all
1: over again uh to basically show everybody in the department this is what happens to you when you when you leave uh it was a punishment and uh it literally drove me insane it drove me insane and it drove me to uh try to take mm. my own life and uh, i kept that from my department the only person that knew about it was my original co-host and um I got through it, a lot of therapy, uh, a lot of medication, and um, I said to my uh, co-host, I said, listen, you know, I'm not doing anybody any justice by just sitting on this. I want to start a show, I want to talk about what drove me to this point. And at that point, the suicides in law enforcement were out of control, and they still are out of control. They, they far exceed line of duty deaths. Um, we're losing officers, you know, more at their own hands than at the hands of criminals. So, you know, I said, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to have a show and have it just be, you know, an hour long of just dry material because we're cops and military and all this other stuff. Comedy is the only way that you're going to reach anybody. That's the only way you're going to drive your point home. And, uh, the way that we do the show is, is that the beginning probably 20 minutes of serious stuff and then the rest of the stuff is just goofing off it's just having fun and the reason being for that is is that we're all you know we're a different breed uh nobody wants to be preached at nobody wants to be told what to do um but you give little snippets you give little snippets of it and then you you throw some comedy in there and uh you know, October, three years ago, we launched the show, and honestly, I just thought that it was just going to go through my department. You know, maybe 50, 60 people would listen to it, and then um, we'd get shut down, because that's pretty much what happens in, in law enforcement. You're not allowed to have a voice outside of work. You're not allowed to disagree with uh, the rank and file. You're not allowed to disagree with your chief or your sheriff or whatever, and that's fine, and, and I understand that there's reasons for that. You can't go on TV and just start MFing your, your leaders but when they're wrong and people are taking their lives and people are good people are leaving this profession because of poor leadership that's mm. a problem and we shouldn't be silencing that we should be fixing it and i am all for police reform and i shock people at my my coffee shop that i own cuz they come in and they're like you know what do you think about this police reform crap and i go mm. i'm for it I'm for it, but I'm not for it the way you, you're you for it or these other people are for it. I'm for law enforcement reform from the top down, not from the bottom up. That's the problem. Everybody thinks police reform is, is the knuckle-draggers, us guys that are pushing cruisers out there, interacting with crazy people, homeless people, criminals. We're not the problem. The problem is up top. That's the problem because they make policies. They're the ones that drive... Crime stats, they're the ones that manipulate crime stats um, by political means. If if crime is too high, you have these leaders that turn around and go, listen, we're no longer classifying things as felonies. We're gonna start downgrading them to misdemeanors. And the public doesn't know that that happens. It happens every day in every yeah. department. They yeah. have no idea that these FBI crime stats per jurisdiction is garbage it's erroneous and that's where the show came from which is is that i'm not in law enforcement anymore so i can say or do whatever the hell i want now like i was a sergeant for seven years i was in law enforcement for 20 years um i'll tell you where it's at i'll tell you why we're having the issues that we're having with no repercussions the downside is is that i'll never be able to get back into law enforcement and that's fine with me um, you know, I take pride in and I've saved more lives doing my show and my book than when I was on the job, you know, saving regular Citizen Joe. Now I'm saving law enforcement lives and military lives and, and, and folks in, in the uh, corporate America. You know, like they're everybody's frustrated with the lack of leadership. They're frustrated beyond belief and they have every right to be frustrated because people leaving this profession in alarming numbers, and they're not leaving because of the job. They're leaving because of the poor leadership and the policies that are set in place by people that shouldn't be leaders to begin with. They've had three good Saturdays. They tested for promotion. They had good, and I know you're you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. They've had three good test dates where they've promoted three separate times, and they got promoted during peacetime. What do I mean by that? You've got lieutenants and captains and under sheriffs or, or deputy chiefs and chiefs that have gotten to be leaders in peaceful time. No riots, no anti cop movement, no drug war, none of this. So they got to move up the ranks during that. We're not in peacetime anymore. We're in wartime. We have ambushes happening, yeah. we have riots happening. We are seeing the disrespect that we've never seen before towards law enforcement. And what do we have? We have leaders that are not seasoned for that. They did not come up in that. So now, because they haven't gone up in that, and nobody's being proactive out there, nobody's doing traffic stops, nobody's getting in anybody's pockets, getting guns and drugs out the street, so these leaders now have to do what? Now, they have nothing better else to do because there's no crime stats, So now they turn internally and they start destroying internally by internally investigating their officers, destroying morale. And that's accepted and that has to stop. Uh, And I know I went on a tangent, but this topic is very near near and dear to my heart because we could fix a lot of problems, a lot of problems. Um, Excessive uses of force are a direct link to toxic work environment, poor leadership, um, hostile, hostile work environment, stress, uh, being overworked, all these different things. Now, I want to give a caveat. There are going to be bad, bad officers out there. I mean, that's, that's just the nature of our beast. You know, not every cop is a fantastic cop. You, you know, your dishwasher craps out on you. You call five repairmen. One of them is going to be a scumbag. That's just how it is. And police work is no different. The thing is, is that needs to be caught during the hiring process. And then here we fall into the other problem, which is, is that nobody wants to do this frigging job anymore. Would you for 35, $40,000 a year, you want to get spit in the face, you want to get rocks thrown at you, bottles thrown at you. And then when that's not happening, you go into police headquarters and you got to keep your Kevlar vest on because you got to worry about getting a knife in your back from the, from the toxic leadership. And that's the problem in law enforcement right now and nobody's saying it nobody's saying it because if you're in law enforcement right now you can't say it because the first thing that happens when you say it is the same thing that happened to me you get pulled up in the chief's office and then they do the roundabout kind of hey you sure you want to do this show you sure this is a good idea for your career and you're like yeah yeah i want to keep doing it and then six months later you're bent over the desk in internal investigations, getting a pickle shoved up, you You know, like, so not literally, but close.
0: <laughs> you know, so, you know, you, you see you're going go ahead, off on a tangent, but I, I couldn't agree with you no more, Nick. Um, I just feel like talking with you uh, for a little bit already this evening that, that, um, you're very passionate about police work you know i've listened to to your podcasts you're passionate about the work that we do on the streets Mm -hmm. um and i very much that resonates with me like i'm not i'm not a high school kid that went to college to become a cop No, me, me. right you know and, and that's you know it's it's something that i did later on in my life i was the oldest one that went through the police academy uh i'm currently the oldest one going through the fire academy And, and it's something I chose to do. I want to give something back to my community. You know, my, I'm, I'm born and raised in this, this community that I work in. My kids obviously go to school here. I'm, I'm, I'm invested in my, um, not only my interactions with the police, uh, with the community, but also their interactions with my children. You know? Yeah. We Mm -hmm. stop teachers. We write tickets to people that we don't know that, you know, might be our kids, football coach or track coach, you know we don't know that we're just look I might have given you a ticket but what you don't realize is you blew that stop sign and yesterday or the day before I you know I might have had somebody that died because somebody ran a stop sign that passion uh, I think the millennials today and I don't I don't necessarily like it as a generational thing but the younger kids that are getting into this career field it's no longer a passion for them uh, mm-hmm. they worry about, you know, and this is something that I've, I've actually witnessed and heard with my own ears is that they're worried about being sued. That's mm-hmm. like, don't worry about it. It's going to happen whether you, you know, if you're afraid to go use of force hands on, you're going to get sued because you didn't act soon enough. Yep. If you go hands on and take control of the situation, not going, getting out of control, but actually controlling it, taking someone into custody, even protective you're gonna get sued. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But if you can explain why you're doing it, act in good faith, everyone should be going to bat for you. The policies, you know, unfortunately, you know, I want your take on it. I guess um, policies at any given day, any officer, good or bad, is viol- violating at least one every day. All right, mm-hmm. we just cannot. This job is not black and white. It is. It is extremely gray. Uh, You know, we're given discretion by the courts, you know, just because I pull you over doesn't mean I have to give you a ticket, but I can, you know, and and what people tend to lose sight of is not only that discretion, but the influence that they have. Mm
2: -hmm. You have
0: so much influence in the communities that we live and work in that when you have passion to do this job, I want to be a cop, right? I didn't go to school to become a cop. I wanted to be a cop right? Completely different mindset. This isn't a job. This is who I am. This is, I want to help people, right? That's normally what they say. You know, that influence that you have is dying out. As our leaders get promoted, that was a job for them. You know, many of them tout that they have this degree, that degree, this management degree, you know, this training, that training, whatever. Great. But how were you when you were dragging knuckles, were you mm-hmm. making the good arrests? Were you going to get into shit? Did you have a problem kicking in a door and arresting somebody because either they were drunk driving, crashed and fled or assaulted a loved one and fled and you found them? You know, what I mean, like that's how you lead. You know, yep. when you get up into those positions. You got to be able to say, look, kid, you know, uh. I like your attitude. You know, you're ready to go get it. You you have passion in what you do. You you know, you're considerate. You you using the difference between discretion and influence to influence the way a call uh, ends up. You know, you're good, um, but in, as a, as a whole, um, you know, I think that's missing. Yep. I think a lot of people got into police work to become that administrator. That was their next step. Like, look, I put in my time on the road. I deserve this desk. You know, in one of your podcasts, you you talk about positional equity,
1: you know, um, yes. and I often talk to my uh, kids, you know. I, what's that? That's my favorite. Positional equity is my favorite topic right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's I, I still, it's... And
3: so what are, what are you defining as so positional equity?
1: Positional equity is, is that I will not do something for you unless it benefits me in my career. And that is something that has taken over in the law enforcement profession, which is, is I won't elevate you or what you're doing unless I can use a portion of that glow or that glimmer. To get me to the next level
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it happens yeah. all the time in every department it happens in the military too, which is absolutely you no know, i'm not going to let you do this project because it doesn't benefit me in any way I can't publicize it and get me a little certificate or me a little bit of shine with the chief or the general or the colonel or whoever. positional equity is just that and yeah. happens a lot in law enforcement a lot. Yeah.
2: And that's one thing that I was talking to someone who's in law enforcement, a friend of mine. um, And we were discussing uh, where we had kind of similar to the Shots Fired episodes that you did uh, a while back. Um, So you can tell about where I'm at in your podcast now. I'm catching up. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I was talking to an officer, would have been two, three years ago, and he said that he was involved in a shooting. the the suspect drew on him he was able to get multiple commands and he was forced to pull the trigger and took him down and he did not get the backing of his mm-hmm. leadership and then when the the now you guys know this better than I do is it like uh they give you an uh, an attorney mm-hmm. that represents you and then there's one that represents the department mm-hmm. If I'm correct, in some places, union, yeah, the, union and then the, the department, department attorney finally went to the the one and twos, uh, the top dogs and said, hey, it looks like he's going to beat this. It looks like it's going great. And then they started doing the ticker tape parade for him. But it, he says, I didn't get any support. I didn't get any phone calls until after the department attorney said he's good. I think we're going to take this one. And then they got well, behind him and I'm like, yeah, it yeah. was a good shooting. The guy, he he gave his commands, the, uh, the you know, I, I read everything I could on it cause I knew the person and everything there, the guy pulled the gun out that he didn't know he had and pointed it at him. The only thing that they were trying to get him on is the mm-hmm. officer shot first. How mm-hmm. did you know the guy was going to pull the trigger? How did you, well, he said, I'm was going that- to kill you. You know I mean? That's, that's why, yeah, Jedi and why that's why I'm a Jedi. But
1: it, but you know I I do a lot of peer support training. I travel around. I do peer support training, and I go to these different departments, and I'm usually never invited back to do another one because I usually I I usually say this, which is, you know how you can tell if your department really really cares about your mental health or you as a human being. Go to your general orders or your directives or whatever they're called and flip to the page where it says, uh, where it goes into lethal force, like the shooting you were just talking about. Go right to that directive. If the first six lines of that directive is, you will not do this, you will be Mirandized, you will have crime scene investigation come, you will do this, you will do that. And all the way at the bottom of that list is for you to get that officer some sort of peer support or mental health your department cares about one thing and one thing (laughs) only liability all they care the first thing that needs to happen is that officer mandates who his peer support person is and that person sticks to him like glue he doesn't go anywhere without that person he doesn't move the only person that he talks to is that person and that person has full immunity. He can tell that person every, every intimate thought in his brain and it doesn't get used against him. And no department does that. And that's the problem because we treat them as a number and we don't treat them as officers. We don't treat, I mean, we don't treat them as human beings and that's a huge freaking problem. Let alone and a lot of them are brothers force and sisters. Oh my God. It's terrible. I've been on so many officer involved shootings And the way that we treat them, you are suspect number one until, like you said, until the detectives show up with their nice little suits on and we wake them up out of bed and they come down and, you know, they look at the scene and they go, yeah, well, he did shoot at the officer. Yeah, he did kill him. I think it's going to be a good one. Then everybody crowds around the officer and they're like, hey, big slap on the back. And they're like, good for you. And then... That's it. You know, that's that's how we handle the situation. We don't we don't handle it as this person just took a human life. It's a traumatic right. event the, to to turn around and be involved in a shooting. For you to make that decision, for you to make a lethal force, force decision, it's against every human mm-hmm. instinct that you have to take another human life. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you see like on TV, you see these people, you know, mad because an officer shot and killed somebody. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody goes into work and strapping up in the locker room and going, "Hey, you know what? This is a good day to get into a shooting." Right. I think today. Gonna is kill gonna somebody today. Yeah, yeah. Today I'm going to go to um, Starbucks. I'm going to get myself an iced coffee, and then I'm going to drive around and get me into a good old-fashioned shootout, like the OK Corral. Mm. <laughs> um, but I, I have to say something, too, because uh, I have ADD, so I will forget. He fits in. He said about millennials.
2: He and yep, he does. <laughs> uh,
1: you said something about millennials, and if there's any millennials listening to this, this is your moment. This is your proud moment, so revel in it, because you folks are the only ones that are going to fix the problem in law enforcement right now. You're the Absolutely. ones. You are chosen. I know that's a big, big, huge thing, because at the end of that, there's no big trophy for you, you know, and then you want that big trophy. You want that NASCAR style trophy when you fix law enforcement, but it's not going to happen. But you guys are the ones because you grew up in an era where suicide was a problem. Taking antidepressants was okay. um, Officers uh, were good, wholesome people. So you had good influences in your life. Um, you had some sort of stable upbringing, we hope, and you're the ones that are going to infiltrate the command staff and change the way that things are done. Now, where the fork in the road is, is do you follow in the footsteps of the people that are managing you right now, and you get to that level where you're like, well, I earn my I earn my keep. You know, I, I, I've earned my feet up on the desk. And if you're one of those people People, then you're gonna fit in fantastic and we'll keep doing this for another hundred years mm. but if you're not and you want to be like a crusader and fix it this is the time for you guys to do it bide your time get the time on on the job and start taking promotional processes Start forcing these dinosaurs out of the profession put them out the pasture like seriously like we're waiting for a big asteroid to hit them you know <laughs> not literally right i don't need another detective coming to my
2: place to go me, right Yeah, <laughs> it'll be quite a drive from where we're yeah. at so uh, right? you know uh, <laughs> this, is
1: def- this episode's definitely going to get transcribed so don't worry <laughs> Uh,
3: yeah that's that's really why we wanted you on it's all the free yeah. advertisement oh trust me we, we know we know how much it's going to be written trust out so it's surviving uh, danger close yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> just, just be prepared to receive a subpoena all okay? right <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I, i'll put it I, in my stack I will, also, I will also say that i will tell you that a lot of these defense attorneys or these civil attorneys are becoming more and more savvy in the in the sense where these leaders currently that sit in their office and put their feet up on the desk, these civil litigation attorneys got your number. Because now what they're doing is they're stewing the leadership for lack of leadership, the Absolutely. failure to supervise. Mm-hmm. And it's happening. So these days of you sitting back and you not actually being a leader, you're going to start earning those stripes and those butter bars and those double butter their numbers. Bars. They're, not, they're numbered they're numbered man, because you know uh, if Baltimore didn't teach wow. us anything, Baltimore yeah. the arrest with um uh, Freddie Gray, a sergeant and a lieutenant who weren't even anywhere around got indicted got indicted they weren't even around. they got indicted for failure to failure to supervise so as a former sergeant, you need to be out there with your people. you need to lead from the front not from your desk
2: so um the one thing that just completely gets me is okay you know i'm not law enforcement i'm i was in iraq you know i yeah i never was either (laughs) but i yeah, i was in iraq and the thing is when we would come in contact you know our thoughts were not about okay is this going to be a is this going to come back and get me? Our thought was we'll go to our training, advance, flank, whatever the, the cause was, bring in, you know, heavier artillery or, or you know, for John, bring in a couple uh, A-10s if they're on, you know, get out alive. But the more I get looking into this and talking to law enforcement and even in the ride-along, John and I talked about this, now for law enforcement, they pull their their service f- firearm, whether it be the rifle, the shotgun, the 9 mil, whatever the case may be, they're thinking, what case law do I have with me on this? And that's what hit me. I listened to that Shots Fired episode that you had. I listened to that probably two or three times, and I kept playing back where they said, okay this case law this i mean it was from 1980s i believe if i remember i can't remember the the exact do you remember the case law that they're referencing there uh
1: um a supreme court case that allows them to uh uh the lethal force
2: yeah and they're all like and as they're going on to that description i kept hearing them say okay This versus the state, you know, we've Mm -hmm. got it. This is the situation we're in. We're good. And I'm like, that's not what should be going through your brain as if, okay, am I going to be legally, am I legally coming home Mm -hmm. from this? It should be, hey, this guy is doing this. That's wrong. Somebody's going to die or get seriously hurt. We need to deploy what we can. But no more are we into that, well, yeah, and,
1: and, and and it's happening more and more uh, frequent. I mean, I, I'll tell you a very very short story, which is, is uh, right after Ferguson happened. I was a sergeant, and uh, I was a sarge, sergeant in charge of community policing. So we policed in in um, public housing, some rough areas, hmm. and it's like the week after Ferguson. I'm driving around in my Tahoe with with a couple of my guys in the Tahoe. <laughs> And we see this kid trying to open up a door uh, of a residence. And um, you know we get out of the car, we challenge him. We're like, hey, do you live here? Tells us go F ourselves. Um, you know, we were very respectful to him um, and said, hey, do you live here? Blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is, is we start scuffling, we start fighting. One way or another, um, he lands on top of me while we're fighting. And I look down, and he's got his hand on my, my service weapon trying to pull it out wow. of the holster. Wow. And the thought that's going through my head is, now I know that there's a whole bunch of people out now. And the thought that's going through my head is, um, I'm going to wind up shooting this kid. And when I do, I'm going to get arrested because this is a week after Ferguson. Uh, I'm going to lose my house. My union's not going to cover me. Uh, My department's going to fire. These are things that are going through my head, and that shouldn't be going through my head. It should be, this is clear cut, like (laughs) bottom line. I'm, I'm, justified. Supreme Court cases allow me to use lethal force at this, this, at this time, he's Mm. pulling my weapon out. Uh, And ultimately what I wind up doing is, is just holding down his hand on my gun and reach up and grab him by the throat and choke him until he passed out. And that shouldn't, be the case like and and that's happening more and more where officers are second guessing themselves and i'm kind of shocked i'm happy but i'm kind of shocked that we don't have a lot more officers fallen over the last year with everything that's gone on um because you know and i think it's hopefully because officers are not doing proactive activity a lot of them have slowed down and i think some of the leadership has told them hey listen find a parking lot you know, catch up on some Netflix. Um, right. uh, what's his name from uh, 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 those grown-up movies? He's got a great show out on Netflix. Why don't you catch up on some of those episodes? <laughs> and um, and I think that's what's happening. I don't think that there's any proactivity. But the problem with that is is now the drug war is coming back because we've had no proactivity. So the drug war mm-hmm. is about to come back. Well, guess what, folks? The drug war is coming back, but all the officers that are seasoned, like myself, that have left this profession, have been around during the drug epidemic, are gone. Right. So the ones that are on the street are new jacks that can't tell a hand to hand from from you know a prostitute you know getting somebody off. They don't know. They just ha- don't have that skill set, uh, and that's a problem. Because where there's a, a drug problem, there's a homicide problem, Absolutely, you know, and, and it's, it's going to come within the next year or two. It's, you know, you're going to see a big, huge increase in crime. Um, and, and it's unfortunate. And and it's upsetting because for somebody that's spent 20 years in this profession fighting to get crime under control and to beat the drug war and, you know, to do all these things and watch it just crumple in a matter of a year or two, it's, it's very disheartening, very, very disheartening.
0: Well, it is, you know, and it comes back to that passion, you know, we have a passion to do this. Some of us are passionate about, uh, uh, you know, getting drunk drivers or drug drivers off the road. Some are passionate about getting drugs off the road or guns or, you know, we all have a passion, something that's touched our lives in a way that, you know what, this is how it's going to go. This is what I'm going to specialize in. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Nick, we're, we're very rural where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's all farming communities, but we're surrounded by states, some of the most violent in Michigan we're surrounded by. And Actually, at one point.
3: I think we have eight of, or six or seven of the top ten in the United States within an hour's drive of us. Yeah. I mean, if you, if
0: yeah. you
3: think about it.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: that, that's the last thing mm-hmm. I saw on it.
0: You know in in uh in one of our local task force drug task force they started seeing a a decrease in drug traffic and they thought well you know we're not stepping up our patrols we're not pulling large sums off the road what the hell's going on and what they started finding out was oh shit, they're starting to detour us they're Mm -hmm. starting to go out into the country where 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 i'm at Mm -hmm. and you know they started getting once they started focusing on the on the thorough, the main thoroughfares through uh, the choke points, they, they started seeing, and they finally asked them, why, why are you going this way? You know, it's out of your way by an hour. Man, it's too, it's too crazy over there in, in Flint. It's too crazy in Saginaw. We ain't driving through there with our drugs. We'll come through the country. They know that, you know, because we're not familiar with drug trafficking uh, or even mm-hmm. sex trafficking, we don't know what the hell we're looking for. And that's just honest. You know, uh, since the COVID thing, I think my, my counterparts can all agree, uh, even in the local municipalities, our, our methamphetamine use has been through the roof. You know, we're finding, yeah. like, silver dollar-sized meth rocks, meth crystals, and we're like, what in the hell? We've never seen this before. Yep. You know, who, what meth head do you know of that has leftover meth? You know what I mean? I I arrested this guy after a short pursuit, and he was like, "Bruh, I I didn't even know that was in my car. If it is, I wouldn't have bought more. I'd have just hit that. (laughs) Like, you have so much meth that you forgot you had Mm -hmm. some? I've never had that happen.
1: Well, because labs are not looking over their shoulder anymore because there's no proactivity. Like, you've got hand-to-hand, case in point, I, uh, I took my daughter in my car, and uh, I was going to get propane for my uh, coffee roaster, and uh, we're sitting in my car waiting for the, for the 7-Eleven clerk to get uh, finish getting robbed and come out and give me my, my propane, and um, like, I'm sitting in my car. Now, mind you, I've, I've done narcotics for quite a long time, and I turn to my daughter, and I go, that's, a, that's about to be a hand-to-hand right there, and uh, sure enough. Hand-to-hand transaction right in front of 7-Eleven, one o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, and not even a swivel. Their head isn't even on a swivel. They're not even looking around. Don't they, even care. The the low the low-hanging fruit is so low. It's you could it's like hitting fish in a barrel right now. Because right. there's no care in the world. And the problem is, is everything is based like your police budgets are based on crime stats. Uh, the way that these municipalities um, budget law enforcement agencies to get money as they look at crime. And now you've had a year of no proactivity. So crime stats are really low. Right, so all tanking. these municipalities are, you know, raising their hands up and they're like, yeah, crime is low. And, you know, aggravated assaults are down and you know, all this stuff is down. No, it's not. It's not down. It's just that it's not being reported yeah, Right. or officers are not going out there and they're not, they're not arresting people for these nuisance activities. So now, when you look at these stats, when it comes up for budget time, these cities or these counties are like, "Well, the police don't need this much money because crime is low," and then you fall into a further problem, which is that you're not hiring because you're you're not increasing your staffing, you're not replacing people that are retiring or attrition or any of that stuff. Um, so the profession as a whole, man, it, the next couple of years is well. going to be. It's gonna be interesting. And then you, you had know,
2: it I, on I, one of your podcasts where it was um you were talking about the murder rate going down and I thought this was very interesting. Everybody, you know, around here, you know, I mean we got Flint, Saginaw, Detroit. I mean, that's our, our three around here that are you know wait, three wait, of the, eight, the top five. five. Yeah. And you know, nationwide, not just in the local area, mm-hmm. that's nationwide. And you're you were saying on there that the medical procedures and the medical response time has increased. And that, not law enforcement, is what's benefiting the, the crime rate for murder. You know, Absolutely. instead of a murder, yep. it's attempted murder. And, you know, that doesn't get as much in funding. And so, I mean, nobody, why are they not looking at the bigger picture instead of just, okay, the murder rate went down, but the attempted murder rate has sh- shot up. But nobody's dying, so we're okay. So you know, tell me the you know non-law enforcement guy here, why don't they look at the bigger picture for all this?
1: Because politics has bled into policing. Uh, we talk about it a lot on the show, which is, is politics and policing. They sound similar because they are almost mm. identical. The moment you interject politics into policing, you muddy the waters. Um, you know as As a police chief, you're a political appointee, and that is a major, major problem. That is a conflict of interest at its highest. Uh, You'll hear me say on my show and on on the next book that I'm writing, I personally think that all chiefs of police should be replaced with elected sheriffs. And the reason why I say that is, is that you take that political puppet out of the picture. They don't, Absolutely. the sheriff doesn't count to anybody other than their constituents. They serve, most of them serve for three years, then they go for reelection. election You either do your job or you're out. Police chiefs, they're hired by a county executive, a mayor, a city council, or something of that sort. So when crime starts going up and, you know, aggravated assaults go up, The mayor calls up the the chief of police and goes what is going on with aggravated assaults chief goes has a command staff meeting gets all the commanders together and they go he goes what is going on with aggravated assaults we need to we need to cut this down we need to figure this out Mm. commanders have meetings with their lieutenants lieutenants have meetings with their sergeants sergeants have a meeting and roll call and say hey every aggravated assault from now on i want you to call me first before you file the report and then you call the sergeant And you go, hey, listen, this is what I got, and they go, that's not an aggravated assault, that's that's assault and battery, and now you've taken it from the highest felony to like a misdemeanor,
2: just like that. And the only person that is being affected by that is the victim. Absolutely. And that's that's the crap that they don't know any better.
1: They don't right. know. It's the regular citizens out there have no idea that this, this shit happens behind closed doors. They have no idea how much human influence happens with uh, the changing of comp stats. We saw this in New York City mm. uh, when comp stats first came out 15, 20 years ago. You know the, the commissioner of police would turn around and demote people right in the middle of a comp stats meeting because crime was too high. Then these commanders figured it out they were like hey you know what i'll just have my people reclassify things reclassify that's what it's called reclassify and i've seen it i've seen it with my old agency uh we used to have a monthly meeting where the captains would have to explain in their sector why crime was so high and then you'd see it trickle down uh, where you know aggravated assaults would be uh assault and battery um and robbery from persons would just be larceny from person. It's the silliest freaking thing. It, robbery from person to larceny from person. It, it's it's a matter of one little element that you take away from the crime mm-hmm. that changes it from
2: felony to a misdemeanor. And then and what's that what's the, helps what's the, the stats from that point. Well, what's the big or... difference
3: between the officers doing it and like a prosecuting attorney doing it? Because I've also heard yep. that when it gets to their level, That's... does that still go into that same pool of stat? That's a whole different people doing. That's it? a whole
1: other issue because then what happens is the judicial system, uh, depending on your jurisdiction, is a whole other problem. You'll have prosecutors or commonwealth attorneys, or district attorneys, wherever your jurisdiction mm-hmm. is where they care more about their prosecution rate than they do about actual justice being served. And what they'll do is they'll tell their uh, attorneys, their county attorneys, I want you to start pleading this stuff down and start getting plea bargains. Start getting... Because once you get a plea bargain, it's a conviction. Right Now your conviction rate goes up. Instead of going to trial... Exactly. Exactly. So what you do is you take a felony and you say to them, hey, listen, what I'm going to do for you is... I'm going to bump this from a felony down to a misdemeanor. Or we can go to trial, and you could take a chance of being a convicted felon, and you cannot have a library card for the rest of your life. How about that? And then people freak okay. out because they're like, well, I don't want to not be a felon because I want to vote five times. Um, so you know, like, so that's what happens with some of these prosecutors is, is they, they play this number game, this prosecution uh, rate game. Um, and it's happening a lot. It's happening a lot where these officers are working really, really hard. They have a great case. It's a great felony case. Uh, they've made it past the commanders uh, downgrading their their charges. They get all the way to the prosecutor, and the prosecutor goes, hey, uh, I, uh, I offered that person a plea. And you're like, are you kidding me?
2: Right. Does it, them plea? does it make it where you think, and you know, both of you guys can answer this, does it make where you think the guys that are on the ground that when they get into another situation that's gift wrapped the same way that they're like, you know what? Oh, not, I can't I do much.
1: With, yeah, I know where you're going with this because I've seen it a million times where these guys turn around. And they go, what's the point? The prosecutor's just going to like like marijuana cases before marijuana became legal. Right. The writing was on the wall and all the officers yeah. knew that prosecutors yep. didn't want to prosecute marijuana. Mm-hmm. So what would happen? They turn around, they go. Screw it. I'm not even going to put this into property. I'm just going to rub it out on the ground. Yeah. And I'm going to tell the person, go take a hike. And, you know, instead of spending five hours of your night, putting stuff into property and doing a report and then getting to court and then them going, well, I offered them a plea. They're going to go for, um, you know, happiness classes for six months. And then after they're done with happiness classes, uh, we'll dismiss the case. You know, (laughs) it's stupid stupid crap like that. You know, and you're like, you're like, what they are like well you know it's only the 15th time with possession of marijuana we tend to want to do it at least 45 times before we get hard (laughs) on them oh okay cool cool you know i
2: laugh because i what used to work for a local organization i do i'm in the mental health field nick and um i did a lot of the drunk driving group classes Mm-hmm. <laughs> from, I from a therapist standpoint so, yeah. and so i'm i'm laughing because i don't know how many people i've had oh well i got the the officer to talk to come down so i don't get a operating or what is it it's not a dui but what do we call it john in, in, impaired impaired, impaired. impaired. To, impaired. To or to visually impaired. yeah visually to impaired and then got it dropped down to this and i pled to this so i can come to this class for six months and then i get my license back and now in my current position i do driver's license evaluations and i see guys they're coming off four months after they get off probation hey i want my driver's license yep. back nope not gonna happen you know that's where i can take from my job and say okay i'm gonna help because this guy you know it's your fourth one in six years yep. no I'm not going to suggest you get it. But, I mean, it's like the guy that uh, John and I, when I was with him on the ride-along, I mean, how many times was that guy arrested in the last two months? And all of it was for the same stuff that we were looking at him for and because nobody was doing anything.
0: Yeah, and and I Yeah, I can't answer that. Nope. I'm not. I know. But it was good enough that. I opened up the back door of the of the of the ambulance supervisor that had him in his car and I'm like, "Well, good afternoon." And he was just like, "Shit, I'm going to jail." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everybody. You know, we we know this game, we're going to play it. We're going to play it. Well, you know, you know my first name, I know your first name. Watch, come on out. <laughs> you know.
2: Well, and I, I thought it was hilarious because while you're talking to him and he's he's thinking you could see the wheels turning, like, okay, I might be able to get out of this if I can pass these roadside sobrieties. And I'm watching the sobriety, I'm like, Yeah, he's not passing. He's not <laughs> passing. Nope, not passing. And all of a sudden they said, uh, you know, do you want to get checked out? You know, they're doing their job. The medical personnel were doing their job. Nothing bad on them at all. But as soon as, as John had told him, he goes, Well, you may have to come with us, all of a sudden everything hurt. And he's like, Oh, my neck, my it back and You know, you could just see John kind of internally like, uh, okay, we know where we're going now. And so (laughs) off to the hospital he went and we met him
1: there. (laughs) Yeah, DUIs are, that's that's a whole other. I I wish I would have went to law school and made a boatload of money and been a (laughs) DUI attorney because it is the easiest job in the world. It really is. The first, like in Virginia at least, the first like two of them they don't even care that it's the same deal. They get the same deal right. no matter what. Sure. And, uh, they pay these attorneys like five grand. Yep. And, uh, it's just, it's my I was a DUI guy for a long time. And, sure. uh, it was the same thing every time it was the same sentence. It was one year suspended license with a restricted license to and from work, six months, alcohol classes. Yeah. Uh, and, maybe a tether machine, maybe an uh, alcohol tether maybe a tether and one year of uniform good behavior and the attorney got five grand for that and i was like nine hours of work reduced to 10 yeah, minutes. Right. Really. You know, it's incredible. You're yeah, like, especially
0: when you're like in in the jury trial and you're sitting there beside the prosecutor. I mean, I don't know how you guys do it there, but we sit at the table beside the prosecutor, and you and the prosecutor are are mouthing what the what the judge is about to tell you. <laughs> you know, a you thing, just look at each other like every time. Yeah, and it's then, like, well, that was you, a waste. You know?
1: <laughs> and then you, you laugh because you see them sitting outside the courtroom and they're all like nervous. And you're like, you have no idea. You're about to get, like, the earliest Christmas present.
2: Like, right? nothing's like, going to happen you. Know, you good. know the ones that are first-timers. Oh, yeah. You know, even when they would come oh, to yeah, my absolutely. office afterwards, it's like first first offense, isn't it? Yeah, how'd you know? Because you're scared. Okay, let's work with this. Let's right. see if we can change this. I had one guy come in, and he was like, oh, this is oh, – what was he up to? At least 13 uh, – uh, DUIs for over the last like 20 some years. And well, I want to get my driver's license back. No. No, you should get the tricycle.
1: <laughs> you, you should that Right. A tricycle um, without a seat. Yeah uh,
0: <laughs> right, we're
1: going
2: to do that. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, we're hitting our right. hour. And I want to yep. keep going with you, Nick. Um, we appreciate you being on. I want to spend the next hour, um, we're going to take a little break here, folks, but I want to spend the next hour talking about two. what do you say to our current officers like John and those that are, you know, he's 13 years in and those that are 13 days in. How can we work at changing this? You know, I want to kind of focus on how can we help the people listening? You know, we've had a great discussion about what's the problem what can we do to fix it? So I kind of want to focus right. on that for the next hour, folks. We're going to take a couple minute break, um, and as long as technology doesn't beat us again, we'll. You know, I hope we can be on. You know, what time, John? You think? Uh, I think we're going to con- stay on the air. We're just. Uh, this is an
0: inside yeah. note for us for our editing for our.
2: Okay. Yeah, we're, we're just and, doing okay.
0: So.
3: Bubble. Yeah. Before we um, do that, though, I want to be able to get it on both shows. Nick, you want to advertise your your book, yep. your business, cool. anything you want to anything you want to talk about uh, real quick get get you some plugs out there. Well, you
1: can uh, you can get my book, which is Police Mental Barricade: A Survivor's Guide to Poor Law Enforcement Leadership, on uh, Amazon or uh, anywhere where you can get eBooks. Uh, you can go on uh dot uh, I also own a coffee company. So if you check out rollcallroomcafe.com and you can go on there, I even have a special blend for that special commander someone called Commander Tears. Uh, so if you want to uh, buy a bag of Commander Tears and send it to them anonymously, I do discreet shipping. Um, so once again, rollcallroomcafe.com. Uh, and um, John, what's your address? You check out
2: So I may be getting that (laughs) for (laughs) you. All right,
3: so so we call this one the end of part one. Uh, So if you're listening live, just uh, hold on, and if you're listening through our podcast apps, log into the next one.